Welcome to the Matter Effects Podcast, where we talk prepping guns and current events. There are links in the show description to our Facebook page, our Instagram, our YouTube, and our blog. Please come and visit us, come join us in the closed group, and get involved. Welcome back to the Matter Effects Podcast. This is episode 78. Today, Andrew and I managed to Shanghai two people to be guests, so this might go completely off the rails and it might be fairly interesting. We got Shelby Gallagher and Glenn Tate. Before we let them introduce themselves, though, I just did want to handle a quick little bit of uh, podcast business. I have been remiss in not thanking our Patreon patrons by name, uh, three of which I talk to on a regular basis. One of y'all I honestly have figured out how to get a hold of yet, and I'd love to. But uh, Caitlin, Steve, Stuart, and Tommy, I appreciate the uh, the contributions y'all make. It really does make a huge difference in uh, us funding the show and keeping it going. And it it takes incredible pressure off of us that we don't have to chase down sponsorship dollars and cuddle up to them. We can do the show for y'all and for y'all's benefit and for y'all's entertainment. And it, it allows us to focus on content, which has always been what I wanted to focus on, so we didn't get hung up on having to chase ad dollars, which I hate doing. But Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate it. And then, I don't know, he doesn't bother me for money, so that helps. I've refused to accept Andrew's money on several occasions. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> no um, just really quick with the Patreons, we're definitely trying to think of something uh, to say thank you Uh and then just be a future, um, just something in future to other Patreons that are coming on or want to come on. So, but also, uh, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I'm still surprised people listen to us, but um, that's awesome. All right. But, well, that, um, that's it. Glenn, Shelby, who yes. wants to go first? Well, you know, since I want to be a gentleman, I think Shelby should go first. Well, thank you, guys. This is Shelby Gunker, author of... A great state. It's uh, the first book in the series, The Divide, just came out in April. Uh, the audiobook just came out at the beginning of July, and the second book is in the works. So that's the, that's who I am. Yeah, thanks. I'm Glenn Tate. I uh, wrote a 10 book series called 299 Days, and I discovered Shelby, and I want the world to hear about her. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, Shelby, let's. Uh, I guess my big question for you is. Um, I know there's a big story between how you and Glenn uh, got together. I definitely want to hear that. But I, I like, how did you get into writing? Like, kind of my thought is, like, how, where did this idea come from? What, what got you into this? Well, I've always, I've always enjoyed writing. But kind of what prompted me and what spurred me to write this was about it. Oh gosh, it's now coming up on two years ago. Think about two years ago. We were right in the middle of the presidential election. And it was, I don't know where you guys live, but where I live in Oregon, crazy. Even though it's a blue, blue, blue state, crazy stuff was happening. And at the same time, I'm watching these things happen around me. And I'll, talk, and I'll expand on what the, those were specifically here in a moment. At the same time, if you've read The Divide, you know that there's this situation where a person, the main character, Julie, bugs out of Oregon to a family cabin in Colorado. Well, that's... Mm-hmm. That family cabin in Colorado was based on a real location, a real place, and that cabin two years ago was sold. 
So I'm watching crazy stuff around me specifically, and we've just seen it happen the last few weeks yet again, crazy riots in Portland, Oregon. Oh, man, they were bad. <laughs> yeah, they were bad then. They are bad now. And if you live there, and if you're a prepper, there's all three of us. We're in this boat, you know, wondering when do you bug out? When When is bad enough bad enough? And so that was my, my starting point of um, – honestly kind of writing out the angst of what that's like and i researched people bugging out specifically like out of the riots out of ferguson you know when that happened so that's what started me writing this story and um was kind of the the spark if that if you will mm -hmm. um what i mean are so have you been a prepper your entire life like are you just now getting into it because of kind of researching this book what kind of like what got you into the mindset it's interesting. I, I think I came about it very differently than most people. If you talk to Glenn, he'll tell you it was kind of that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, I think, that panicked prepping around 2008, 2009. A lot mm -hmm. of people did that then. Mine was different. I started um, prepping, and I talk about this in my book, from that from couponing. The whole mm -hmm. stream couponing thing, that world's changed a little bit. But that part of one of the tenets of couponing is to uh, a stockpile getting tons and tons of things, extra things, and stockpiling them when they're cheap, like, and I use the example in the book, and it's based on an actual thing that happened to me. I got a whole bunch of free barbecue sauce, 25 bottles of free barbecue sauce. And most people not in the prepping mindset or couponing mindset think that's crazy, but I don't buy barbecue sauce very often at full price after that. So, um, so you that actually happened to you. You, that, that's, Instance in the story of the barbecue barbecue sauce that actually happened to you like that. That's really cool. That that's awesome. I like. I kind of like how. I mean, like we just interviewed uh, or we just talked to Franklin Horton, and he talks a lot about how he pulls stuff out of his personal life and everything. And um, I just I really like that. It just makes to me it makes the book more personable and just really it's awesome. So yeah, so exactly, and and I there's a lot of little things like that that I pull out of my personal life, but also to for couponing and and prepping marry very well together. Mm -hmm. And that's where I came up because pretty soon there's all this, you need to be prepared. You need to have your emergency supply and all of that. And I, I can do this on, on a budget, on a really extreme budget. So it, mm -hmm. it, it was two worlds that collided very well together for me. Huh. What's funny is, um, it's funny you mentioned couponing because um, I actually, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I I was just going to the store to grab some Coke and uh, a couple of things for dinner. And there was a lady that had a huge list and it was all it was and she was going through and she was talking to somebody about it. And I just overheard her talking about how she's been, coup you know, couponing for this many years. And I mean, I got like I just kind of walked by and I saw like this huge book of coupons and her list that she has and all this stuff. And like your book popped in my head. It was really funny because I just finished your book just a few days ago. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it was just funny, like coincidence, I guess I like to call it. And it's just funny because I'm just like, I wonder what she's couponing for. Like now it makes because I never I never thought about couponing correlating with prepping i never really considered that i just thought i'm like because my mom does it and my mom and dad aren't really big preppers um but she just does it because they had a foster home for 21 years and so they had she had to feed you know seven mouths or so and so she would always just coupon well mm -hmm. after reading your book i'm just like i need to get into couponing <laughs> like well <laughs> i need to get into this and, and what what andrew and i have struggled to do over the episodes is we've always tried to equate like prepping is an everyday activity. It's not mm -hmm. always 
it's fun to fun to humor about the zombie apocalypse and everything, but we've always tried to take prepping into mainstream and show how it is a mainstream activity, and that's something I never consider because I mean, like I would no one would describe my parents as preppers, just the way they mm-hmm. live. But I was raised at a young age with, you know, one working father, one stay at home mother, two ki- two you know me and my brother, and my mom clipped coupons and rolled pennies to feed us. I mean that was just that was a normal part of growing up. And it's interesting to see another aspect of prepper ideology I hadn't considered to be a prepper activity, but yeah. it really does fit into it nicely. Yeah. Why and would it, you buy full price medical supplies? When I say medical supplies, it's like Band-Aids and whatever. Mm-hmm. When you don't have to, why spend full price? It's expensive right. enough. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. That I, I mean, it's, I'm still like shocked that I just never thought about that. I mean, but no, it's something that I kind of want to look more into. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's it just, I just like the idea like your angle coming from it. Um, are you, uh, are you a single mother? Is that where this came from or? It is. It, it, yes. That's where it came from. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it just, I don't know. It just like this whole story, just the way you wrote it. Like, I just really like it. I mean, and I, there's only a select few authors that I found that I really enjoy. Um, <laughs> And the way they write and stuff. And I just, it, to me, it's when I, re- when I read your book or listened to it rather, cause I, I do audible a lot. Um, and the lady that you had audible was, it took me a little bit to get used to listening to her too, but she did like, I, I found that she actually did like a great job too. Um, but it's just really interesting, the concept and the angle that you came from and how you laid it out. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. It's one of those books that I honestly, like, I want, I'm going to hand to my mom. Like, I'm really going to probably, I'll probably end up buying it and giving it to my mom. Because just that, the connection, that, that female connection, um, okay. and having a son and stuff like that. And I don't know, I just, I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting. Well, and if I can add this, one of the, the in all of my re- research about what a collapse looks like, and you, you've, mm-hmm. if you follow me on social media, you, kn- you know I use the hashtag, this is what a mm-hmm. collapse looks like. We know just in those historical ones, the ones in Bosnia, Venezuela, South America, those sorts of things, the number after a collapse, what happens is women and children become victimized mm-hmm. in, in various ways. There's the human trafficking aspect. Mm-hmm. The other like, one... Uh-huh. The other part, sorry, there's a phone ringing in the background, and we're just going to pretend that's not there. Then it's also the women starving, and their children are starving, and they sell themselves. So, mm-hmm. and they become victimized by that so that they can feed their children. And to me, I look at it like in the prepping community has a, has, and I joke about this, but I mean, it has a gospel message. If we can, if we can teach single women, there's a lot of them out there that are preppers, but teach them that not to be dependent on government because that's, mm-hmm. They will be the first victims of that collapse when it happens. <clears throat> and it bothers me a lot. I hope people see yeah. in the book that we have, especially in the state of Oregon, a governor that is uh, marketing towards that demographic, women and, and children, to get them on government. And when that government collapses, they will be the number one victims. And it's and it yeah. makes me so mad. It makes me so angry. And that's I, if I can encourage one woman, one family out there to consider this aspect and consider prepping so that when it happens, they're not victims. Then my job here is done. Yeah. I, it's just interesting. Like I really like that aspect from your book. I really, I really liked because you really did push how the government is trying to look at 
this group of people, this uh, minority, I guess, and target them. Um, and it's honestly, they do, they do it with women. They do it with African-Americans. I mean, they do it with everybody, with poor. They do it with everybody. And um, it, that really made me think. when I, After I got done re- listening to your book, I thought I thought about it and I just was like, well, that, you know, it was really interesting because back when um, the Affordable Affordable Care Act, and I should say that with quotes, um, the Affordable Care Act came out. Uh, I had I had private insurance because uh, the company yeah. at the time didn't have didn't um, offer it. I lost that. Like I got a letter saying, hey, we need to cancel your insurance because it doesn't meet standards. So call us. So, hey, I, OK, cool. I'll call you. They gave me three different tiers, all of them, which were well over $150 a month, which I couldn't afford. And then on top of that, the deductibles were $15,000 for the, uh, the smallest one. And then when I said, well, no, I can't afford that, they go, well, we can get you subsidies and we can get you on different programs so that it can bring the price down. And I'm like, no, like, so you want me on this program so that to make me more dependent on the government? Like, that's so wrong. That's so wrong in so many ways. And that's where people, like, when I fight, when I talk to people about the universal health care, I fight them on that. Not because, like, I don't think people should, you know, be healthy and they, you know, they deserve health care. But, at one, I don't believe that I should have to pay for somebody's health care when they're not, if they choose not to be healthy, that's on them. But then, two, with the universal health care thing, you're getting everybody on a gov- government subsidized health care plan. And it makes them more reliant on the government. So then when a opposing person comes in and says, hey, this is costing us too much money. We're going to do something about this. Then the other side says, oh, well, we did this. We did, you know, we got you on this guy's on this plan. They want to cancel. They want to take your health care. What are you going to do now? And then people are going to, what are they going to vote for? They don't want to lose their health care. And so, and that's been the whole issue with the government now. And it's getting worse. And in your book, you really stress that. And that, and you know, it's just one more thing that it coming from, I mean, a guy's point of view, you wrote it from a female's perspective, but it relates to everybody. Yes, absolutely. So I really, I mean, I got a little soapboxy there for a second, but, um, <laughs> but no, I, it's just, I mean, I, I don't know. I just can't say enough about it. So good. Well, good. Well, you, you sold, but, um, you sold another copy, Andrew, because I just bought it on Kindle while we were talking. <laughs> good. I sold. Yeah. I should be. I should help you. I should travel with you and talk to people. <laughs> so, I guess let's transition over to uh, Glem. Yes. Glem, two hundred ninety-nine yes. days. Before we start recording again, I'm I'm going to be a fanboy here, just like I was with Shelby and Franklin and stuff. Um, I've listened to your book on Audible, probably has to be at least two through two times three times maybe um but i know at least twice and like back just listen to them through and i understand going off of your bio and some of the other um uh interviews and what you've talked about and stuff like this you this is very relatable to you as well correct yeah absolutely and you were talking to to shelby about oh that really happened the barbecue thing really happened Mm -hmm. and especially book one uh, it's about 97% accurate. And the reason the details are so detailed and colorful is because they actually happen. And I find that it's a much better story when something's really happened because, and quite honestly, I don't have that much of an imagination. 
I can't really conceive of space aliens running around eating people's brains. And <laughs> so I can't really describe it, I think, right. very well. Other people may be able to describe it, and that's good for them. And one of the other aspects of, of the 299 days books that is surprising is I wrote all 10 of them and then sent them to a publisher. This wasn't something oh, wow. that, oh, I'm going to be a big author. I didn't think anyone would ever read them. And that was a big surprise. So when you don't think anyone's going to read them, you tend to be more candid and you tend to describe things that really happened without making yourself look cool or whatever. Somebody mm -hmm. made you mad. So you turn them into a villain and it looks really silly and overdone, that kind of thing. So it's, it's raw. And that's one of the things that's turned out really well about the books and people comment about it. And the reviews often mention the fact that this seems real. And I remember somebody was relaying, um, a, a dialogue uh, banter back and forth from the books. And they said, that was so creative. And I said, no, that, that really happened. That's, that's what we said. That's how it went. So that's been great because it's, it's very real and people can tell, people can tell fake fiction, formulaic template stuff from somebody's real story. Now that's all book one, obviously book two through 10 <laughs> take place in the future. So, I'm not right. claiming that those things have happened, but it is very real. It's very raw and it really resonated with people. And again, I, every time I do an interview like this, I, I can't believe, you know, that people read the book. I, I think it's well done. I think the narration is supremely done by Kevin Pierce. And I think it's, it's good and all that, but I just can't believe that my life story and all of my ideas are are out there, then so many people can relate to them. It's a, it's a fantastic honor. I, I get excited every single time. It never gets old, which is, of course, a line from the books in a different context. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, one, I can't remember, God, this was, it was probably about a year ago, or I want to, it was a good, about a year ago, I think, I remember, I heard you on another podcast uh, talking, and I remember he like hearing you, and it's like, I need to get, I, like, I would love to talk to that guy one day. And that was shortly after, um, Bill and I, we started podcasting together. But anyway, I got to ask you, and I'm sure you get this a lot, the team. Yeah. Like, are they, as you say, they are like in the book? I mean. Yes, they're real dudes um, with a couple <laughs> couple qualifications, one in particular. So I'll go down the line. Everyone's the most interested in Pow because he's the most interesting person you'll ever meet. He's, and Shelby's met him, six foot tall, Korean gunfighter who sells insurance i see that's an example of some i couldn't have made up i mean i'm right. not that creative and i meet this guy and he's just and he's mesmerizing he's so charismatic and he's an amazing amazing gunfighter he's spectacular so he's real scotty's real he's a real dude yeah. it's just like in the books he's a little bit quiet he's extremely good at what he does um i remember he was talking to a guy near fort lewis at a, at a gun store and they were talking and the topic of radios came up and this guy I was talking to said, uh, Oh, are you're a, you're a combat controller, right? In the 22nd special tactics squadron. Those are the air force guys that go in the special mm -hmm. operations guys and call in airstrikes. And he said, no, I'm, I'm just, you know, I work at a hospital. I'm a hospital tech. So he's <laughs> so knowledgeable and, and wow. that's unusual. Bobby is really Bobby. He's great. He's, he's amazing at everything he does. Um, and then there is, there's Wes, and Wes is a real dude, 
but he doesn't live out here on the West Coast, and he's he's based on a real guy, and and I don't know him nearly as well. Um, so yes, all all the guys are real, and then a lot of the tag on characters. Um, Special Forces Ted, mm-hmm. the real dude. I was texting with him this weekend, and all, so many. Chip is a real guy. Uh, Chip recently passed away, and that was oh really. Bad. Yeah, Pal and I got to got to be there at the hospital with him, and that was pretty special because he was he was such a good man, and, and we were his family. And I'm getting choked up. So, uh, virtually everyone in book one and and throughout the books is is a real person, and they're just like I describe in the books. Again, I have no creativity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just been blessed to to meet these amazing people and the way they all fit together all the characters fit together like that is really unusual and it makes for a great story so yeah Mm -hmm. they're all they're all in the team um we we do things together we we train we hang out we do all that stuff um they're getting a little bit older now and starting to get married and have kids and stuff which slows things down i knew (laughs) it would i told them too i was like you guys you know you're 25 now, but wait till you're about 30. And uh, it's funny now they get tired and stuff. And, uh, they get sore, and I laugh at them. <laughs> you, need, you need to tell me. You need to be, just be like, okay, like this collapse needs to happen now because if things go the way they're going to do my book, um, yeah, we need to have this happen. Because <laughs> no, you guys exactly. are lo- you guys are going out of your prime. <laughs> Let the collapse exactly. wait a few years so I can get my six year old up to like you know rifle size. Yeah. Then then we rifle can discuss size. having a collapse. Exactly. Right. right. Right now, she'd be doing really good for herself to pop a squirrel with a twenty-two, and I need her at least to like intermediate cartridge size and weight, preferably. <laughs> I think she needs a nine millimeter AR. And no, she doesn't, because my bank account says no, no nine millimeter AR right now. <laughs> no, um, that's so awesome. I now, Glenn. I mean, how did you in your book? I mean, I guess it, you talk about Grant and how he really got into prepping. Um, is that similar really is how you got into it or it's a carbon <laughs> copy. It's pretty much my diary. Um, you, okay. You basically, you basically wrote your autobiography and changed the names. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And projected it out in the future. That's the other part. But yeah, it's exactly how it was. Um, I was listening to the books the other day. I don't listen to the books or read them often, which is kind of interesting because, I know little teeny things that I would have done differently and it drives me crazy, but I was, I was listening to it the other day and I thought to myself, this is exactly what happened. You know, the storage shed or the store, the rental place that I kept the stuff in and going up the stairs and getting winded and getting into shape and all these kinds of things. It is, it is absolutely exactly what happened. And one of the neat things about my description of what happened is it's doable. And as you guys mm-hmm. know from the books, I, you know, I make mistakes. I describe all the dumb things I did. And I don't try to be that superhero guy because I'm not a superhero guy. I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer and prepping and taking care of my family. And like uh, people can relate to that. I mean, you know, it's like anybody else. They, they have a day job and they're trying to do the best they can with this. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And I put so much detail in there. I think now, you know, if I was thinking, I wouldn't have put so much detail in, but I did. So there it is. Can't, can't reel <laughs> it's it out back. there. Can't reel it back. You mentioned awesome. earlier that, um, the story of how you came to know Shelby's writing. And when you first came to realize she'd created this book, you said it was an interesting story. You mind retelling it? 
Yeah, no, it's a great story. So I get a lot of um, unsolicited manuscripts. People say, hey, I'm, I'm writing a book or I'm thinking about writing the book. Tell me what you think and can you help me get it published and, and that kind of thing. And I hope none of you guys have ever sent me a manuscript because about what I'm going to say is maybe not going to be flattering. <laughs> but um, a lot of times they're they're not good and I'm, I'm being polite and, and it's painful because I have to tell people that. Um, I've come up with ways to not tell them that actually. So anyway, I get this email from this Shelby person and says, you know, I, I live in Oregon, kind of near you, and you might want to read this. It's probably terrible, so if you hate it or you never reply, that's okay. And I thought, oh, geez. But I was intrigued um, because, you know, her being a woman, I'm fascinated with the female perspective on all of this. Women are 50% of the population, and they do have, and I'm generalizing now, but generally they have a different perspective. And I thought, okay, this, this should be interesting. And I started reading it, and I could not put it down. And I remember after chapter three, which you guys know about, which is a very gut-wrenching, very terrible mm. thing. I, <clears throat> yeah. I sent her a text. I had her phone number then, which was probably a mistake on her part. So I sent her a text and um, I said, I'm walking around my house right now. And she said, okay. She's like, oh, this Glenn guy's a weirdo. And, and <laughs> Who did I send my manuscript to? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm looking for a hammer. I can't decide which one to use. And she said, why is that? And I said, because I'm going to cave that guy's face in. Because the character she described in Chapter 3 made me so viscerally angry. It moved mm -hmm. me so much. I wanted to cave the guy's face in with a hammer. I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't normally say things like that or think things like that. And it brought it out of me. And I thought, if she can bring this sort of emotion out, in people, especially jaded people like me, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had the same, uh, just kind of jump in there real quick. I had the same kind of reaction to that, except I was, uh, um, I try to listen to where I work. Uh, I do some routes. I walk routes and through buildings and stuff like that and, uh, checking areas. Anyway, I listen. Uh, sometimes I'll throw in, I'll just, <clears throat> if it's a slow night, I'll throw one uh, earbud in and just kind of, so I can hear radios and stuff. But I throw in one earbud and kind of listen to some uh, audiobooks every once in a while on low. And I was walking around and like that, that chapter, that whole entire chapter went through. And I really like, I had the same exact reaction as you did. And I, when I, when I watch a movie, if they can get, if they can make me hate so much, like the one character in a movie or the bad guy in a movie to the point where like, I would just love just to know other, just to like jump up and just punch the TV screen and imagine I'm hitting him or her or whatever. Like, like that villain, they did such a great job writing and directing and casting that person. She had that reaction out of me with that character in that chapter. Like I, I just, I like, I could feel like my blood pressure kind of like, not really necessarily go up a lot, but I could feel like me getting angry and like, God, I can't believe like this would actually happen. And like, I just wish like she killed him and did all this stuff. And like, I, I had that same reaction. Yeah. And I, and I had that reaction. And since we, you know, put it out there, she put it out there. A lot of people have said exactly what you said. And I thought to myself, there's something here mm -hmm. and got a hold of her and we started talking about this and i i sent her over to uh to my publisher prepper press we snapped the thing up in a millisecond and off she went and that's been very very gratifying uh to be able to introduce her to the the publishing world and then 
that introduces her to readers and then it'll take off on its own. But it's been a fantastic experience. So I'm really glad that that happened. And there's going to be book one is out. Book two is nearly done is having some final touches. Book three is pretty much written. And in book three, there's going to be a crossover chapter where her characters come to Pierce Point. And yeah, and I'm going to write the Pierce Point chapter and there's going to be interaction between her characters and my characters, and it's going to be a really cool setting and a cool thing's going to happen. So that is cool, too. I mean, it's it's obviously her story and her books, but mm-hmm. I get to basically write another chapter of 299 Days and plop it into into her book. So and it's going to fit really, really well for a variety of reasons. Oh, I can't wait to plot. I can't wait to do it because that. Yeah, like I said, I just. I'm a big fan of the 299 Days series, and so it's going to be interesting to how you write that and how it fits in. Um, so, I guess now you guys live obviously near each other. So, like, did, did you figure that out after uh, afterwards? Like, after you guys went back and forth in contacts, or did you meet with her and just discuss more of the book? Or, well, we we uh, I knew that she was pretty close, and then. Proximity wise, and then and then we talked and, and met a couple times, and mm-hmm. and and so that was neat and good, great to know her and all of that other stuff. Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> That's great. Um, so I guess going back to Shelby, uh, what kind of like what did you exactly like? You sent this email out. I guess I want I want to get your perspective on the whole thing as far as you wrote this out. You're like you know thinking should i send this should i should i not send it like what were your what was your reaction when you got a text message saying hey i'm walking around my living room (laughs) well and i'm glad you brought that up and i don't think i've talked about this much but the there i need if this helps people to understand i was scared to death to send that email if if anyone is sat at their computer going because it's because it's a it's like we've talked, like you guys have talked about, it's a heart wrenching story. It is a true story based on a true story. And you know, you're putting your stuff out there and I'm putting myself out there to this person who doesn't know me. So I was, I sat on my computer for quite some time going, okay, do I hit send? Do I not? Do I put it in the draft folder? Do I not? You know, so, you know, you're putting yourself out there. So yes, there was that kind of mind gymnastics that were, that was going on. But, um, yeah, and it was it was unusual to me, and we and it's funny you should ask that question because Glenn and I have talked about it. When it was confusing to me, believe it or not, that it would have such a visceral reaction. Part of it is because I'm far the the, the chapter three happened to me personally over mm-hmm. two years ago, so I'm far removed from that. I have felt all the anger. I have been through the therapy. I've I've recovered from that as as much as someone can recover from. So I don't have the anger anymore. And I forget how angering <laughs> such, a, such a tragic thing can be. And I'm trying, and I know we're all stepping around at what happens. In, I hope everyone now goes, I need to find out what happens in chapter three. Um, I, everybody needs to find out what happens in chapter yeah, they three. Do. They <laughs> absolutely do. And, and that was part of, if I can go back a little bit, even to what we were talking about, part of the reason why I wrote it too was how does a person go from being so broken and mm-hmm. so uh, stomped on to, to having the ability to pull their bootstraps up and recover and provide and be kind of the person that overcomes bad circumstances. And I want everyone to know there is hope in that. You can, just because you're living a new normal doesn't mean it's a bad new normal. I, 
love who I am and I know that part of who I am is my past. So that being said though, but yeah, it's weird to me that people have this reaction because I, I'm far removed from it. I, I've lived with this new me for decades now and it's, and I like it. So if that, I, if that helps, I know we get kind of therapy esque <laughs> there, but you can't have something like that happen without yeah. having some introspection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Phil, you've been really quiet. I'm curious uh, on your I, thoughts. I, when we get good guests, I like to just sit in the background and let them go. I do. I do have yeah. two questions though, Shelby. I'm assuming you were probably you were at least familiar with Lynn's uh, books before you sent him this email. I did. I had I had read his books before I sent the email. Yes. Okay, so this wasn't like looked him up on the internet, sent him a cold email. I'm assuming you were a fan. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Now the question I have for the two of y'all, and this this is probably going to relate somewhat to the books, but it's also going to take us in another direction is. Y'all have both mentioned, well, Glenn's mentioned that, you know, he's made mistakes in his preps and some of it's fleshed out in the book. So the two of y'all, one at a time, what would be like the one mistake y'all would admit to on the podcast having made as a prepper? And uh, Andrew and I can drop our own because there, there's no shame here. It's all a chance to learn from somebody else's experience. Well, since since I'm, I'm still, I still have the microphone. Haha. <laughs> um, I will say my my preps have not been, and I'm going to say this because, and I talk about it a little bit, but because I come from the couponing point of view, I have, I've done the mistake that couponers do in that stockpile stuff because you can, because look, I can get toilet paper for a penny or, well, toilet paper you should prep for, but there's things that you can uh, prep with that are absolutely useless. Don't do that. Just because you can get it for free doesn't mean you should prep with it. If you can get it for free, donate it. But don't make it take up all your space and take up all your attention. Be very mindful. And also, too, I think there's um, you can't do it all. As a as one person who's tried it, you cannot prep 100% for everything. And you do need to reach out to the – there's great prepping communities and – and networks in most areas of the country, reach out to them and get to know those people because when a collapse happens, that's the community that you will then become a part of. So my mistake is prepping with way too many things that were completely not really, I shouldn't have prepped that much and they were a waste of my time and attention. So I'm going to let Glenn answer that now too. Uh -huh. Oh, this is a very heavy answer. Um, my biggest mistake was attempting to prep in secret because my wife was lame and uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And you guys you know what I'm talking about. So t trying to prep in secret, uh, I should have manned up and said, I really don't care what you think. This is how it's going to go. I, this is an example I was mentioning earlier of how I don't make myself look particularly awesome, but it's, it's realistic, right? People can relate to it. So that would be the, the biggest mistake. I ended up overcoming it, I think, with sort of sheer volume. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, it was just like it, be it became and still is major focus um, of my life, so I put a lot of energy into it, but it was way too hard, unnecessarily so. And if anyone's out there in a relationship in which they get so much static from their, their other person that it's virtually impossible to prep, um, think long and hard about whether you want to be in that relationship. I know that's a giant thing to say, and I I, I hesitate to say it because I don't want someone to hear this and 
make a bad decision based on some sort of generalized <laughs> fragment of a comment. I can't I be with you. Why? Dr. Tate said so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's right. Doc, yeah. Like Dr. Phil kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that would be the thing. And this, this relationship part of prepping is something that to my knowledge, no one had ever talked about. Um, everyone had always been, you know, writing these from the perspective of I'm a SEAL team six guy and I'm going to, blow away zombies and um and i i told the truth and so that relationship part is so critical that the the more i can see now um sort of in the rear view mirror the more i realize what an absolute hindrance it was and i was very very close to not prepping at all and just kind of giving in and being a suburban slug and you know the, the docker years as i describe in the book and just being that that lame unprepared dude who's probably going to die here in the next couple months or years. And I didn't, I, I went, I fought hard, really, really hard and went the other direction. So that's a heavy question. It's an extremely good question. And you drew a lot of uh, information out of me. And I appreciate the <laughs> question because I don't, it's hard to say this stuff, but it needs to be said. So thank you for asking the question. Before Andrew starts, I'm gonna Glenn. I'm gonna follow you down your own rabbit hole because I never tried to prep in secret. My wife and I have my wife and I have this really interesting marriage where like we can totally agree to disagree and just say, you know what? If you think that's a good idea, you handle that. I'm gonna stay out your way. It, it's weird, but it works for the two of us. But like when I really began to get into prepping, things start showing up at the house, and my wife was like, "What is that?" And it's, I think, I think the first thing that really, I see when I started off like reload mode ammo, it was just, oh, that's Phil's hobby. It keeps him in the garage. He stays out of my hair. That's fine. And then the first ammo can got filled with ammo. And then the second one. And then the third one. And she was like, what do you need all this ammo for? I go to the range a lot. And then I think after that, that was when the body armor showed up on the front doorstep. She's like, what's that? I'm like, plate carrier. And you just saw the. What does it look like? You it looks like a freaking bulletproof vest with rifle plates in it. <laughs> but that was when the eyes kind of told me, my husband has gone off the deep end here. And then, you know, medical gear starts showing up. Uh, I actually went, I went whole home, home defense before I went in. I backtracked into like food, water, medical. But honestly, for me, and I tell everybody, if you have a spouse who's like really resistant to the idea of prepping, what did my wife in was honestly, it was the... um I think it was the Charlie Hedbo tags in Paris because she looked at the, she watched that on the news and she saw a situation where like people couldn't leave their homes because it was just anarchy outside. There were people shooting and throwing hand grenades and everything else. And these people had to hold up in their homes and they had no method of defending themselves because that country makes such a point of disarming their populace. And it was, my wife tells me to this day, it was at that moment. She thought to herself, if that happened here, my husband has enough firearms and ammo to defend us. He's got the medical gear to deal with most life-threatening, you know, life-threatening injuries. We have enough food and water here to hold up for a month. We could survive that. And it's those are the kinds of scenarios I try to tell people. I'm like, bring your. This is how you bring your spouse in. It's not I'm the crazy prepper getting ready for the zombie apocalypse. It's these things have happened before, and this is what I need. To ensure that I can care for my family, if it, if and when it happens. Exactly, and I can add to that. It sounds like from the way you did it, you didn't go into debt and you didn't break a bunch of laws, um, like 
primarily firearms laws. Go ahead and say that you did, because that's probably a good idea right now. But um, <laughs> no, and that it, if you don't do crazy stuff like those two things in particular, then what's the downside? And there's all upside and there's no downside. And I don't understand why that would be a bad thing. I, I understand you live in the South, and I think that there's some regional and some cultural stuff uh, here on the extreme left coast. It's a very feminized culture, and men are supposed to do what women say in general, and guns are bad, and toxic masculinity, all the other stuff is, is very real in the in the society that I live in. And so it was very easy to, number one, um, have my wife approach it that way. And number two, for me to think, oh, I better back down. I better be like everybody else. Because I look around, nobody's like me around here. Trust me, nobody's like mm-hmm. me around here except team guys. And and we're just this little teeny island of, I don't know, uh, manliness. I know that sounds funny, but I mean, it's very <laughs> feminized. No, it's true. It's, it's very true. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, I think it's and the relationship you have, you're describing, I think is awesome. I, I hope that's the norm. Um, it's it's tough. It's really tough to be a prepper here. And, and Shelby, I mean, she describes it in her book, you know, all the co-workers and everything saying, you know, you're weird and what's up and, and that crazy stuff. So hopefully it's different other parts of the country. Well, I would almost argue that it's probably difficult to be a prepper anywhere because, I mean, Take Shelby for a perfect example. You can make a really good rationalization for couponing because it saves money on your grocery bill. A person's grocery bill is one of the bigger bills they have in their household. So if you can save some money and feed your family, it's pretty easy to sell somebody on that idea. But once you jump the shark into having a gun for home defense, now you're in a different realm. Like down here, I live in southeast Louisiana. They call it the sportsman's paradise for a reason. I literally would have to look for look for people who don't have guns in their home around here. I'd have it. It would be a challenge to find somebody who doesn't have guns in their home. It's just the area I live in. But even among like gun owners, I get looks because I have scary black rifles and I have like six cans of ammo. And you know, it's like even within even within a culture where you would think that person fits in better, you still kind of stand out because you get you take the gun thing to the prepper level. And it's not just a hunting rifle and a box of ammo anymore. If you take the couponing thing to the prepper level, it's not just trying to feed my family. It's putting away for an emergency. It's just, it's it, it makes all of us stand out among anybody that's not like us. Exactly. And what you have to do, and the way I resolved this, was just not caring anymore what anybody thought. And that's that's a hard place to come from. I mean, you know, from the books I, I wanted to fit in, I wanted this suburban world and all this other stuff came from from poverty and uh, and then finally I said you know what forget it uh, I got to do this I see the threats out there I think more clearly than others I have somewhat I'm not super secret kind of squirrel stuff or I, there's no memo I saw about you know how the government's going to take over you know tomorrow or something I don't mean to exaggerate but I mean I get I know folks that have pretty interesting information and um, in general are concerned about the direction things are going, nothing specific, but still. Uh, and so I've, I've faced with this kind of information from credible people. I thought I'd, I'd be stupid not to act on this and I'm just, I'm just gonna. And then wham, lo and behold, a couple hundred thousand people have now heard this story. <laughs> so 
I didn't expect that. So what you're saying is you let the cat out the bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, you and Shelby can relate to that, and so can Andrew and I, because, I mean, we've, we, we have sat down and talked about topics and had to actively write down or make a list of things we don't want to talk about, because, like, Andrew's been, Andrew and I have both been somewhat careful to, to not state exactly where we live. Or to get really crazy in depth with like all of our preps where somebody could just make a shopping list and be like, oh, I'm going to hit this house and I'm going to get this, 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 and this. It's it's one of those weird scenarios of to do podcasting, to be an author, especially the way you and Shelby have approached this where you're speaking from personal experience, you have to let people in. But you also have that, that little thing in the back of your head that says, how far do I let them in? Like, I don't want to just give them the keys and let them run around loose. Yeah, and that's a really interesting topic because um, take um, uh, Tom Foster and Brian Jenkins, for example, who are real people, I and I work with them. Um, I kind of had to let them know that there's like a book out and like you guys are characters and stuff. I mean, how, how do you not mention that, right? I mean, um, and actually somebody um, I used to work with uh, completely on their own. They were just secret preppers and, and bought the book. And I remember the guy called me and he said, you're Glenn Tate, aren't you? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? And he goes, one pectoral muscle. I know who you are. Cause that's, and I was like, okay, you're on to me. Cause I really, I was born without a pectoral muscle and I have one. So anyway, and that's a one in 1.1 million little, calling card right there so it was pretty obvious it was me and um so then in his circle of friends included fosters and the jenkins so i, I knew that they'd have to know so i had to let him know I, I guess i did i'm not sure i did but i just thought it would be kind of the polite thing to do and so yeah they're and and then they know um i have some countermeasures though um the real cabin isn't it exists obviously we've been talking about how real things are it's extremely secure. And the other thing is I have an, an, an unusually cool uh, advantage, and that's the team. You know, a couple texts, snap of a finger, and those dudes are at a rally point and everything's together. And I just, I pity, I pity the fool who thinks, <laughs> I know I sound like Mr. <laughs> T, I get that a lot, um, but I, I pity the fool that would try to take the stuff because, you know, team guys and everything else. So, Yes, I have more people who know about my stuff because of the book stuff, but I have some some countermeasures to that that maybe not everybody has. But it's it's hard. And I'll tell you that this this is a related topic a little bit, and that involves the real Brian Jenkins. And I'll, I'll tell you the story. I don't think I've ever told anybody um, about the fact that it was Brian. But there's this blog post I did, and it was it was called something like. I'll come to your place when the collapse hits and no, you won't is, is in the title. And it's this, this nervous laugh where people say, and I don't know if this ever happened to you guys. Well, when stuff breaks down and the zombies come, everyone always uses zombies as some like funny little story. Like when the zombies come, I'm coming to your place. Brian Jenkins said that to me. And I said, no, you're not. And I, he said, what do you mean? I said, you're not coming to my place. I said, you haven't helped with any of this. I've spent a lot of time, money, and marital stress doing this. And you think that you're just going to like waltz in here. And then I, I got, I got a little mad at him. He just got done 
uh, watching a bunch of football. I love football. I never had time then to watch it. I probably still don't either. And the NFL is pissing me off right now. So I won't. SEC, by the way, uh, Louisiana guy. Uh, that's some good football. Anyway, um, and, and I said, no, you're not. You're not coming here. He said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd ask you to leave. He said, well, I mean, we're friends. And I said, you're going to have to leave. And well, what if I don't leave? I said, um, I'm going to shoot you. And he laughed and I didn't laugh back. Obviously, I don't want to do that. But, <laughs> but people, and that's an important thing, by the way, out there, preppers. May I say, you need to mentally work through the process in your mind of what you're going to do if everybody and their dog comes knocking on your door. And if, if you don't want to shoot them, that's awesome. I'm not suggesting shooting people. But you need to work this out in your head in advance. Because when you're tired and hungry and terrified, and they're tired and hungry and terrified, and they're saying, hey, our kids play soccer together, what, are you, what do you mean we can't have your food? You need to work this out in your head now. So that's something you can do for free. It doesn't involve much time or energy, but work it out because there are moral questions and you need to have an answer now. And I've come to that conclusion, as you can tell, with the whole, you know, I'll shoot you. So that's the, the grim reality of all of this. By the way, we, we prep to help people. I think preppers are going to save millions of people's lives. Absolutely no question in my mind. But there, there are going to be some very tough choices that have to be made. So in your mind, think about who is it that I'm going to take care of? And I have a giant caveat to everything I just said, and that is innocent kids, and I'm assuming all kids are innocent, I mean, unless they're like little 13-year-old gangbangers or something like that. Kids, <laughs> um, everything I can do. I think there are going to be so many preppers that take in orphans and take in single moms, too, and protect them from the terrible stuff that is going to happen to them if they're not protected. And and all of that. So think who, who gets in here and, and, and be honest with yourself. When you are, you were mentioning reloading and filling up ammo, ammo cans. When you're doing that and everybody else is out playing and everybody's seen the latest, whatever, you know, Marvel comics or whatever movie that maybe you wanted to see or something. When you're sacrificing your time and your money and in some cases marital stress, just so other people can waltz in. By the way, if everybody that I know who knows about the cabin came to the cabin, the food would last about 45 minutes. Now, if they don't come, I can feed the team and team families for uh, coming up on a year, probably. So there's a lot of stuff. However, if everybody comes, it's locust grasshopper stuff. And not only are they going to you know, use up all the supplies, they're going to be dopes. And the, the story in there about Tom Foster's son, you know, texting his girlfriend and giving away a position, um, there's going to be a lot of that. So your threats from dopey, unprepared people that think that they're your best friend, your threats are more than just they eat your beans and rice. They're going to compromise your position. So anyway, heavy stuff to think about, but you need to think about it now. No, that's, that's an excellent stuff point. To think about. I mean, a lot of it, not a lot of people think about, <clears throat> not a lot of people think about that situation of, um, you know, everybody says, okay, well, I'm stocking away food and water, stuff like that. But no one thinks about what if my next door neighbor or a friend of mine or a friend of my kids, you know, the parents of, a, you know, coworker, or, I mean, whatever, if they come to my house and say, hey, my kids are starving or, hey, I'm starving. <clears throat> can you help me? 
uh, and they if they know about you, I mean, not a lot of people think about that because they're, it's one thing if you can say, oh, yeah, hey, okay, here you go. Here's a can of beans and a bottle of water. But then when they come back in four hours because they're hungry again, and then after that, they come back the next day because they're hungry again. You can't, I mean, you you can't, you can only help them so much. I mean, I go by, and I go by this philosophy a lot throughout my, I mean, through my life is you can only help, it's like a drowning victim. You can only help them so much until they start pulling you under. And then eventually you just got to either like knock them out and let them drown or, you know, they actually decide to help. You can only help somebody so much. And that's where, that's where I stand is, Hey, I'm doing this for me and good luck finding me if things happen, but you need to help yourself. Uh, I'm not chair. I'm not a charity. You know, I'm not here to give out to charity. Exactly. And if, if we're talking about a very limited number of people, uh, coming to your door, like your brother and his wife and two kids, that's sort of in the realm of possible. The problem is, so many people right. prepared that it's like I say, everybody and their dog. I mean, you know, what am I supposed to stock dog food, by the way, for your, for your dog? I never liked your dog. Your dog barks too much. I hate your dog. Um, so you, you, you just can't take care of everybody and you'll be dead in, quickly. And then what are they going to do? You know, it's like when you're on the airplane and they're going through the emergency procedure mm-hmm. that nobody ever listens to. And they say that if you lose oxygen, if you have a child, secure your oxygen mask first and then put it on the kid. Because if you have passed out, you're not going to be able to help the kid. And there's a great analogy there. And it's so true. You're not being selfish mm-hmm. <clears throat> by having the oxygen for yourself so you can then take care of those around you that need that need the help. So it's not selfish at all. It, and that's right. another thing that bugs me is this idea that uh, this weird guilt trip thing that it's selfish. By the way, I think that some people, some reluctant spouses, I call them, one of the reasons they're, re- they're resistant to prepping is they think it's somehow selfish and it's going to make me look bad in front of my friends. I mean, they don't want to have to be in a situation of turning people down. Um, and that's crazy. You want to be in a position of having stuff and deal with the details later. Anyway, enough. Yeah, there's there's a thing, but you, people need to think about this because I see a lot of tragedy coming out of that very scenario. I I don't think the Chinese army is going to invade the United States, but I do think neighbor on neighbor, family on family, fighting over stuff. Special Forces Ted was in Bosnia and saw some horrible, awful stuff, and it it goes along these lines. Actually, it was this kind of stuff which gave me a lot of insight into the the dark side of humanity because here's the thing right now peacetime people are relatively nice your friends they're cool i mean they're your friends uh they might help you you know move a couch or you might pick them up from the airport i mean people get along i'm telling you you know 72 hours of no food and sleep deprivation and terror people are going to turn on people and and here's the crazy thing let we'll we'll get through this we'll live through this and there will be a restoration and the people that that turn on you during a collapse ah uh, that's going to be some weird weird social situations after, after that that would be a whole whole different i should write a book about that actually that would be kind of a cool <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and it's going to it's going to be weird again my my basis for this is listening to special forces ted's stories about bosnia 
It's exactly what happened. Reunification was pretty much impossible when you're having people dig their own graves and shooting them by the dozens. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's hope that doesn't happen. They got pretty heavy. Right. Pretty quick. My bad on that one. Yeah, it did. Holy crap. No, no, no. A lot of the things you're bringing up. No, it's all good points. It's all great points. Yeah, a lot of the points you're bringing up actually remind me of, um, I mean, Andrew and I have talked about this. My own personal impetus for becoming a prepper was Hurricane Katrina. Because I was was in Louisiana National Guard at the time. So I wasn't like, you know, sitting on a rooftop for three days hoping somebody would rescue me. I was on the other side of the fence. But that was that was the first time in my young life that I had really come face to face with what a societal collapse looked like. I mean, it was it was short term. It didn't last forever, but it was there. I mean, there was a couple of weeks there where there was no power, no food, no water, no hope, no expectation of being rescued, people dying on the rooftops. And I, I looked at that situation. I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't ever want to let my family be in this situation. Where we are, we are sitting here huddled up, hoping somebody comes to rescue us, and we have nothing to eat and no way to defend ourselves. I mean that that experience, looking at that from the outside in, made me a prepper overnight. And it took me some years to really get into the you know get into and get things moving. But uh, between that and becoming a husband and a father, that's what pushed me into prepping. Because I I always look at the situation a lot from what you were saying, like you know I'm not I'm not. It's not a selfish act of, I'm not going to feed everybody else. I'm not here for that. It, you're on your own because you didn't prep. But it's, I'm prepping to take care of my family. Because that's my responsibility as a husband and a father is to make sure that my wife is safe. My daughter is safe. They have food to eat, water to drink. I can't fall, I can't fall down on that. So even if the world turns to bedlam, I still have that responsibility. And I'm going to do what I can now to ensure that if the worst comes... I'm still in a position to take care of my family. If that means that the other five neighbors I have <laughs> are in a bad situation because they showed up on my doorstep look for a handout and I don't have it to give them, I hate to say it, but I mean, I'm not going to take. I look at. It, I told my wife because we've we've unpacked this before, and I told her I'm like, you need to prepare yourself for if this ever happens, because I'm not taking a drop of water or a piece of food out of my daughter's mouth to give to somebody else. It doesn't matter to me if it's my neighbor, my best friend, my whatever. I'm not taking the food from my daughter to give it to you. And I have X X number of days of food here and X number of days of water. So anything I give to you is taking from that little girl sooner or later. And that six-year-old will not do without because you, a grown adult, didn't take care of yourself ahead of time. It sounds sounds incredibly dispassionate, almost to the point of being mean-spirited. But I look at – I mean, I – that's just, that's just the way I see things. My responsibility is to care for my family. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fail at that. So Shelby here, I'm gonna add two things to this thought. First of all, read book two. It's coming out soon. It hits on this very thing, and I think what you just said was great. When you t- when you have to spread out resources because you're bringing somebody else in, there's limited resources. You now have to spread resources out. So please read book two that hits on this very thing. Who do you let in and who do you not let in? But I love what you just said about Katrina. We, we as a, as Americans have forgotten that story almost. And one of the stories that came out of there, and I want to share mine with you because I think all of us can relate to this is modern day preppers. I remember very specifically watching you, you probably remember how the news would just walk around and kind of stick a microphone into anybody who would talk to them, you know, talk to anybody. 
And there was this one short news clip where they talked to this one person who was like, yep, we got a generator. We have food. You know, do not, don't bring, we're good. We're good here. Go take care of other people. And it was really empowering to watch this man go, you know, we got, we got fire. We got our cans of food. We're good. He obviously a prepper. And then the next guy they interviewed was this angry person saying, I've paid insurance and I've paid my taxes. Where's the government? Why aren't they here to help? And I remember thinking, I want to be the first guy. Yeah, that's the, the guy. Two different, that's the two different mindsets that you have right there that you run into everywhere. And I, and I encourage people to think about that because as, as extreme and crazy as Katrina was, we still have those happening today. The fires in California, thousands of people displaced, and they're in a, they are in functionally collapsed. Hurricane Maria, I believe it was, that hit Houston last year. Thousands of people displaced, no electricity, no res all of that. Just because we have Katrina on the books doesn't mean those aren't happening today. So, yeah, I, it's, I agree with you. It, when you. When you have prepped and you have to then make that hard decision. I will say this, too. Glenn and I spoke at a prepping conference last September. It's been that long. Goodness. That was the number one question that like dominated the question and answer. How do you... How do you be mean? It's you feel like you're being mean, but to turn people away. And and I'm with you. I'm like, you know, you know me well enough. You know I'm a prepper. I didn't do this for you. I did this for my family. You had your chance. Yeah, and, and paper, you know, things are gonna get real. Yeah. And and the truth of the matter is, is I mean, I, I think that might be a takeaway for other people who are having trouble making this this mental transition from I have resources, you can't have the resources. It's not, I'm denying you, it's I have a responsibility to feed this person, these people. Like, if you're just prepping for yourself, and you feel like having your food with somebody else, that's on you. I think that's a wonderfully moral, you know, incredibly generous thing to do. But I don't have that luxury. Because I'm not, I'm not having my food. You're asking me to have my daughter's food. And when it comes to me caring for my wife and my child, I'm about the most vicious person you'll ever meet. Good. I have I have no I have no moral quandary or hesitation whatsoever in doing anything I think is necessary to take care of my wife and child. None. Good. And no remorse, I will sleep like a baby afterwards. And it's not it's and it, the thing of it is, is that it, like for people that know me, they would know that if I'm not in that position of I'm doing this to take care of my wife and kid, I'm a hell of a nice guy. I will happily share knowledge with you, share things I have, give you a cup of sugar out of the cupboard. I'm, I'm not a really aggressive person in, in under normal circumstances. I used to be when I was in the Army and I was younger, but I grew out of it. I, I got a little older, more mature. But when it comes to my wife and my child's well-being is at stake, you don't want to get between me and them. You don't want to get between them and their food. And that's, that's the mind frame you have to embrace is I'm, I'm here. This is my responsibility. These people, this family, these cats, this dog, this whatever is my responsibility. I'm not taking from them to give to you. And it has to be there. Right. Way. And I, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I mean, the one thing too is even in today's society, people like to think that everybody, <clears throat> they like to think that everybody's basically, good natured and they're out to help you and like they're like they have too much faith in humanity itself i mean like it sucks to even say that because honestly i can i know i've said that to some people and they're like well how do you th how can you think like that i'm like well watch listen to the news wa read yeah. articles like people are not 
people are not good. Like, I mean, there are, I mean, I guess there are good people in the world. Yeah, there are individual good people, but people right, as a whole, I, mean, I can't, I can't do that. Right. Yes, people in the law. Right, and but imagine just take like what you think like when I when I talk to some people about every once in a while like I mean not just prepping but just violence in the world. It's like take what you think you know about people and multiply it by like fifty to a hundred in a situation of like hey I need this and you have this I'm taking it and people and and it's funny the people I talk to like they don't understand and I mean this was before uh, I mean this was like probably six months ago or so I remember. Um, like I was with my, I was, I was visiting my parents and, uh, my mom, I was talking to my mom about, um, Franklin Horton about his books. And, you know, she, <clears throat> cause I was, I got my uncle into them and then like she was kind of just starting to get into reading them. And I was, she was asking me about them and I kind of was talking to her about stuff. Well, we pull up in front of this, uh, this supermarket and there's a couple people out smoking. You can just tell like, they, you know, they had signs in their hands, just kind of like, "Hey, help me," kind of thing. There's a kid that had his head down, and he had his, you know, he had a sign up saying anything will help, going on, and like all this other stuff. And you can tell, like, some of these people, like, they're not the best, like, they're not the best intentions at all. Like, hey, I'll give you a dollar, and then they're gonna go buy, you know, drugs with it or something, or alcohol. And <clears throat> I, like, I just talk to my mom, and we pull up, and I point at those. I point, and I was like, "Those people, those are who one of the one of the groups that you're gonna have to watch out for." She goes, "Why?" I go, they're going to show up to your house. They've been catered to their entire life by government. Yes. yes. When the when the government runs out and there's nothing there, they're going to come to you and say, well, you need to help me. Well, no, I don't need you to crap. Like, you need to help yourself. And when you don't, when you turn them away, they might go away, but they will be back and they will be back to cause violence. I mean, if you look at look at the protesters, you know, throughout the U.S. right now, <clears throat> they're protesting a certain cause. But it all comes down to a lot of it. If you talk to them, a lot of it comes down to is you have this and I want it. And yeah. it's it's not it, it's just to me, it, 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 that's what it comes down to. And you have to be willing to protect that. And if you don't have that mindset, you need to get you need to get it and you need to get in tune with it because it's going to it, it's going to bite you in the butt if you don't. I mean, if you you know, I mean, that, and that's one thing I like about a lot of these books Um you know, a lot of these, everybody, all these authors, like you guys have kind of like the same, at the end of the day, you guys all have kind of like the same message. And it's, if you're prepared, take care of you and your, your own, but don't, don't try to take care of everybody else. Like, cause in every one of these books I've read, really, it's, they'll, they're, they're going good. They're doing well in their communities, doing whatever. But then they have these groups of people come up and say, do you have any water or food? Like, why don't you know give it up like you owe us you owe this you owe, you know you owe us this and it's just like i don't owe you anything at the end of the day like you're your own person and i took care of myself and my own like i don't owe you crap so yeah that's my biggest takeaway from all of these books that i've ever like that i've listened to and the fact that these books have that message is going to save people's lives because people People mm-hmm. listening right now, they may have thought about it. This may be the first time they've ever thought about this topic of what do you do when people come around. And it's going to save some lives. I mean, the lives of people who matter, and that would be the prepared people. The lives of the dirtbags. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Tough. You know, I think that we have so many luxuries in the United States of America, you know, in 2018. And so many people have never had to deal with even momentary 
lapses in, in services and food and all that other stuff. The way I grew up, there were, there, there were times when there wasn't a lot. There were, you know, there's power outages, people losing jobs and stuff getting thin and, and there were bad people. I mean, there, believe me, where I grew up, there was a ton of bad people. And you figure that out. But most people have never experienced that. They grow up in a suburb. Everything's awesome. Everything's comfortable. The air conditioning always works. Everybody's nice. The police, the police right. outsource all the dealing with bad people to the police. Most people out there, general population, have never dealt with a crazy, vicious, angry person or anyone even coming close to that. And they don't even know. And they're going to be caught by surprise. So we, we've, uh, we've had it too good for too long, and we've now, most people in this country, not ever had to deal with bad people. And uh, too bad, it, there's going to be a lot of them, a lot of decent people now are going to be bad soon. Yeah, <clears throat> to me it's uh, to me it's the, the U.S. right now is we're experiencing like the ultimate first world problem, um, and that's having it too good. Hmm. Uh, and... What cracks me up is I saw a meme that was really funny that made me laugh was uh with the the Parkland shooting and all the little teeny boppers who think they know life um and they're sitting there trying to give advice and they're protesting for gun rights and they're protesting for certain rights to be taken away. This meme was like, uh, you know you have the ultimate or you know the ultimate first world problem when you're protesting to have rights taken away. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's interesting to then use the word inalienable rights to them and that them that their minds blow up a little bit. These are rights that are given to us by God, not by government. Yeah. Well, and before we spin off into a gun control debate, which I wholeheartedly what we recommend if everybody wants to see me lose my mind today. (laughs) Andrew Andrew knows whenever okay, we had we had a we had a bit on this show for a while where Andrew would ask me a question that would get me ranting and raving, and gun control usually does the trick. But you know the, the thing that oh, I want- it's a bit that's it's coming back. Like I'm going to bring it back. It's just I'm giving you a couple of days to uh, forget about it. <laughs> get and I'm get, get my you. blood pressure back under control. You know, repair some of the arterial damage in my brain you've caused over the years. Yeah. But I mean, the the thing that I always point out is, and this is this is something that I've thought about in the past, and Glenn reminded me of when he was talking about like the reason why some people are really resistant to prepping, and it's not just spouses. Like my wife and I have. Two friends who, to varying degrees, because, I mean, it, it's a married couple. The husband's kind of like, eh. And the wife is, like, wholeheartedly, like, derisive about it. Which is why my wife just can't stand the ground she walks on. Because, you know, my wife and I are very, in, both very, we're two very independent people that are married to each other. So, if she has friends and I'm not friends with them, it doesn't bother me and vice versa. But, like, the one thing my wife and I really have no tolerance for is somebody tearing down our spouse. Like, I'm just not okay with that. If anybody had something ugly to say about my wife, I'd probably start thinking about where can I dig a hole where no one's going to find it for a while. (laughs) But like this couple, this couple, the wife in particular, she goes to such great lengths to like make light of prepping and make fun of me for prepping. And Oh, your, your husband's getting ready for the zombie apocalypse again, isn't he? And all that silly crap. And you know, my wife asked me one time, she's like, I don't understand. It doesn't affect her. You're not her spouse. You're barely you're barely friends with her. Like, what is her end? Why can't she just leave it alone? And I told her, I'm like, I'm like, honey, you need to consider the fact that a lot of the people that make fun and make light of prepping, they do so because it's the justification. 
in their mind. Like you have to consider it like this. It's it's a lot the same. It's a lot the same um, mode of thought I find with people who are anti-gun. If they admit that there is violence in the world and you should have a right to have a gun to protect yourself, that now means they should have a gun to protect themselves, and they have to take that additional strain and that additional responsibility to protect themselves upon themselves, and they don't get to just put on their their uh, societal blinders and say. There's no gun violence. There's no violence in the world. You don't need a gun. You don't need an AR-15. You can't use that for hunting and all that nonsense. But it really comes back to the idea that I don't want to face this scary thing. So I have to convince myself you're ridiculous for thinking it exists. And I see prepping the same way. For that person to admit things do go bad and Phil is prepared if things do go bad, why am I not prepared? So in order for her to justify her not being a prepper, she has to make my prepping ridiculous. So that she has the justification to say, well, the reason why I'm not doing that is because he's just crazy. And I think it's, that's... that's crazy that it's, that it's high school thinking, cliquish, stupid behavior as an adult that will end up killing this person. That's what's really sad. It's this, I've got to make this person look lesser than I am to justify my bad... And then you're like, oh my god, are we sophomores again? Well, I thought we already did this. And Glenn is itching here, Phil. So. Yeah, and there's a, you're, you're exactly right. Oh god. <laughs> and there's, a, there's an additional twist on all this, sort of a, an afterthought I see, and this will happen some of the times, and it's Todd and Chloe. Mm-hmm. The chapter about chapters about Todd and Chloe. And that's basically where a wife is derisive. Perfect word, by the way. Derisive towards a husband who's putting out some feelers about whether he should prep. And he says, okay, I know I shouldn't because she won't let me. So he doesn't fast forward. There's a collapse. And all of a sudden the wife is mad at him for not prepping. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he just about loses his mind and, and it doesn't turn out well for them. But um, that is going to happen too. And that is, is what you're talking about this Something needs to be done, but it's too scary, and I can't admit something needs to be done. And those people will turn on a dime. So I'm going to say, guys out there, uh, be prepared for that because that could happen. And you need to do what I did, and it's hard as can be. And that's just forget what they think and just do it anyway. You were so right earlier. You said, I'm a man. It's my job to take care of my family. I'm speaking to men out there. You're a man. You need to take care of your family. And the fact that maybe your wife is is against it and makes fun of you, uh, do it anyway. Uh, it's just going to make it even better when you end up saving her bacon. I mean, I'm not a fan of I told you so's, but you have a big fat I told you so coming. Enjoy it. And it, it works the other <laughs> yeah. way because I'm I'm uh, I okay. I sidebar. I am one of these one of these really. I'm one of these people who is like. So stubbornly set on the idea that men and women are 100% equal, not built exactly the same interchangeable, but men and women are equal. I'm so stuck on that idea that, like, I say, women out there, if your husband's not into prepping, there's no reason you shouldn't be putting extra cans of beans in the back of the freaking pantry. Like, if if it ever comes to pass that he that you need the food, he will at that moment kiss your butt and shut up because you're right. But the the thing I always tell people about prepping is, I'm like, you know. Everyone thinks that preppers are the crazy Burt Gummers of the world from um, from Tremors until the, the earthworms start eating people. Then all of a sudden they're geniuses. 
But that, that's that's one of like that. I, I always love to yank that one out of Hollywood and be like, you know, every prepper's Burt Gummer until the worms start eating people. Then all of a sudden, so, you know, the fifty cows and the <laughs> machine guns and everything don't look so crazy anymore. Yep. Right. So okay, Shelby, I'm curious. We've been talking like from guys' point of view, stuff like that. From a woman's point of view, how is it like how like when it comes to talking to guys um, or approaching guys with the fact that you could probably take care of some of the guys, say like Calif- you know some of these guys from like California or something. Like to me, I feel like they'd be very intimidated by you because you're very strong-willed. You're very like you know what you want. Your mind is set, and like you have your crap together. You know, and you you got this mindset, the preparedness mindset, to where I feel like a lot of people would be intimidated by it in a way. Like, do you ever find that you're like that? It makes like coming. I I guess I'm trying to word it like being a woman. Do you ever find it hard for like you get certain comments from guys or even other women because of the situation that you're in as far as uh being a prepper and a you know a mother? You opened a can of worms. You ready? Go for Uh-oh. it. We got about okay. 15 minutes. It's all yours. There you go. Okay, so yes to both. So I'm going to come at come at this kind of with both with both genders with women, and I talk about it in the books. Has mm-hmm. as the main character Julie kind of develops her gets her confidence back. Um, women, we are sometimes we are we are our best friends. The, the girlfriend network and all of that that you, sometimes you might have heard women talking about is very powerful. But when you have an alpha female like what you just talked about that knows her stuff and is confident, it's very threatening to other women. So yes, I'm going to answer you. There's a there's a demographic. Sorry, ladies, I love you. There's a demographic of women out there that does not get along with me, and I'm with mm-hmm. Glenn. I'm too old. I don't care anymore. I, I, my my primary interest is into my family, and my kids. So if that threatens you, sorry, I, I'm, I don't. I I really I'm beyond high school. I don't care what people think anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but on the other hand, I there's some. I mean, I just thought about this morning. One of my great good friends, not threatened by me. She's a single mom. Hey, let's go out to coffee. And I couldn't make it because of another obligation. But I will gravitate towards, you know, and and I think that's just life. We gravitate gravitate towards those that are like minded. So, women in general can be threatened by me, and it's generally their lack of, lack of confidence. I know what it's like to not have confidence and not going back on their their sake. So there's that. The other mm-hmm. thing, going to the men's side of it, it's interesting you bring that up. I don't wear my preppiness on my sleeve. People don't know that I'm a mm-hmm. prepper. Um, but what, what happens is, is if you get to know me, eventually, you know that I am. So for example, in a, in a former workplace, I, I oversaw a staff of young millennial men. Males. God, males. God, males. Go God bless your soul for that, by the God. way. How'd you not commit murder? That's <laughs> it, funny. You should say that. Anyway, <laughs> there's some bodies what? hidden somewhere. Oh, no, I'm in charge of this staff. So I'm like, hey, let's go out. Hey, who wants to go shooting? I tried to, you know, you lead a horse. Walk. Who wants yeah, to go shooting? Go. They're probably afraid of that. Exactly. Do you want to go? Who wants to go to the <laughs> ring to get their concealed handgun license? I will help you do that, but I will not do it. And then what happened was in the course of this, uh, one of our, we did have a threat to our work environment. So one of these guys says to me, how many rounds do you carry? And I'm like, I don't have enough rounds for you. I have enough rounds for me. You can pick it up. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that, that there, 
yeah, they don't know how to take care of themselves. And they're looking to their boss to take care of them. And I said, that's not going to happen. Sorry, I, I'm teaching you guys the things you need to know. I'm showing you ways that you can get prepared, but that's not it. So there's that. But it's interesting, though. I will add this, too. Men, it's interesting, and I've talked about this in self-defense ways. I still get little uh, aggressive actions done towards me where men act like idiots. Can I break in? She's the creeper magnet. I have no idea what it is, but I'll, I'll be walking with her, and all these creepy dudes come up and want to get about like six inches away from her and like smell her hair or some crazy stuff. Just stuff. And so she's a complete creeper magnet. I don't, she's not doing anything weird anyway, but yes, it is a phenomenon that is a real. So that being said, so I, you learn how to carry yourself. And, and when one of those guys come at me, I, you know, I'm very clear. I'll you eye contact, mean voice, get the F away from me. And that generally works because they're not used to a woman who can carry herself that way. So fortunately, that's the world we live in, especially in an an urban city environment. And and I'm just used to it. And and again, I don't care what other people think. I don't care that the millennial men don't know how to take care of themselves. I'm going to get out of that building before they do. Uh, You know, all those. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered the question. That's Um, just my experience. No, it, it does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's funny that you brought, you bring up the whole millennial men kind of thing because, like, I have a friend of mine. Um, when she hears this, she'll know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, she she lives somewhere where they don't have many rights. Um, but oh. in a, you know, a certain country, and uh, she was telling me like one day, like I can't remember. Oh man, she's gonna, she's actually gonna murder me because I don't, I think, I can't remember, I think it was her tire was low or somebody's tire was low at work and, uh, basically flat. And so she, like, walked in and was like, hey, you know, I need someone who can change a tire. Not one guy could do it. And, yep. like, they're more concerned about, like, getting their, you know, expensive shoes and their, their clothes dirty than actually, than figuring things out. And, like, and that's where, and sadly, like that's where our society as a whole throughout the world is going. But is why didn't she know how to change a tire? What's that? Why didn't she know how to change a tire? That we're getting into that. I got to teach her some stuff. Okay. But. I mean, <laughs> you, based on a true story, Shelby's dad and Julie's dad in my book made sure uh-huh. that you had to change a tire at age fifteen, based on a real story. Just saying. Right. Well, I mean, and honestly, like going off of uh, what Phil, what you commented on, or what your question was, is it's just no one's been around a teacher. Does she um, not have a father or mother? I mean, like, was, was she was she raised by wolves, maybe, or Amish people who don't have cars? <laughs> no. that, that'd be a valid no. excuse. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a long story, but um, oh, but no, it it. I mean, just it's just funny because we. Like we like we 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 look at this kind of stuff, and it's just like, well, how you know, how hard is it to change a tire? Um, how hard is it to change brakes, or how hard is it well, to change oil? Or okay. I mean, just do something. And and coming from some people who they weren't raised to where, like, I mean, they were raised in the city. Like their parents were the form of, hey, we're just going to take this car in and we're going to get everything done. Nothing's hands on by the father or whoever. I mean, it it goes down. It passes through generation through generation. I can add this, though, too, because I don't know everything. And, yes, my dad taught me a lot Mm -hmm. going to the books. Floyd taught Julie a lot. I get that. But in this day and age, 
if you don't know how to do something like change a tire, and not that I oh, you, advocate for yeah. this kind of thing, it's all on YouTube. Seriously. That was the point I was going to make. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but that, that, that's, I guess, okay, this is not just like working on cars, this is everything. This is prepping. Guys, we live in 2018. You can go to your local public library in Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas. In the most rural of podunk places, you can go to a public library and get on the internet. And yeah. knowledge is just there waiting to be had. I mean, I grew up in the day I'm 35. I'm not that old. But I grew up in the, I grew up in a time before internet. And everything I learned about how to work on cars, I learned from my dad because we didn't have the money to pay a mechanic, so we had to fix it ourselves. That's mm-hmm. a lot of the reason I learned to do a lot of things is because my dad was like, ah, oh, we can fix that ourselves, and we learned how to. But, you know, I, I guess that's my thought process. Is if you don't know how to get into prepping, if you don't know how to work on cars or grow crops or do anything short of nuclear physics, you can pretty much look it up on YouTube. <laughs> and, and I will say this. Right. And- in- Local and regionally, there's some here in the Pacific Northwest, great prepper groups. Go to those conferences, meet the people, and they all have groups on social media. They all have websites. Find You can connect with them and learn skills from local people so that when the collapse happens, you you can share skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had an episode on um, groups, you know, like prepping groups. Like who would you want to have, all kinds of stuff. But, I mean, I guess going off of, I mean, Going off of the defense of uh, you know of this girl is, yeah, she in, in, in the comment she made. I mean, and I'm wrapping this up is the comment that she made to me was I can't believe that you know none of these guys know how to do it. And then she even said I should know how to do that. But it's one of those things like changing a tire until the tire blows out on you and you've never experienced having to do it. It's one of those things that you don't think about learning. It, I mean, ex- you know, just like I, I mean, and that goes through prepping all across the board is you don't think about it until either a someone brings it up as a subject and asks you about it or b you get slapped in the face one night because something happened and you have you get you get you know you're challenged with this thing and so you and there's i mean there it, a lot of people don't think about certain things and you may it's like wow i can't believe they didn't think about that or why uh, you know why didn't they know this but I know a lot of people who know, you know, it's like, hey, what about this? And it's like, that's a good idea. I never thought about that. And it's the most obvious thing. So, I mean, it just, and I, it's just crazy because like when you open up the whole can of worms as far as like prepping just that book, you're opening up a whole nother life, a whole nother, like just a whole world of things of like, I didn't realize I needed to know this, but I should have probably known this. And I guess that's where like I've gravitated towards the medical side of preparedness. So I'm, I've been gathering more and more like um, medical supplies and just learning, get more knowledge on different kinds, you know, just medically just trying to get more knowledge. And so to be an asset, both to myself and to a group of some kind, possibly down the road, but it's just one of those things. that's just like, what don't I know? And there's a list of stuff I don't know and it's just like i'm trying to check things off of that list and i feel like that's just somebody you know something that everybody should go to is write down a list of hey these are the kind of preps i want to get to within the next year these are the kind of skills i want to acquire within the next six months and create that list and just build and go off that list if it's i want to get my cpl within this, this six months work on that find yourself a firearm if you want to find help if you want to i mean there's in the u.s as long as you're friends with somebody i mean 
anybody who knows me knows that if you want to, I'll take you out shooting. I don't care. I'll let, I'll give you a thing of ammo and you can you can shoot my gun. I don't care. But um, I'm willing to teach you. So I guess that's my biggest thing with towards people is and going off these books because these books. I mean, Shelby, from your book to Glenn's book to Franklin's book across the across the way. Every time I read one of these books or listen to it, I'm getting ideas of. I didn't think about that. That's a good idea. I should change the way I do this. I should pack like this. So, and that's why I've listened to these books is not just one for entertainment, but two for more ideas of how to improve my prepper skills and my life, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Well, and, if, and what you just spoke about, there's a great group out there. It's kind of, it's called mine for survival, mine digit for survival. It's run by a great guy. And that's what he, I did a podcast with him at the end of the year. What is the one Brian thing Duff. We know him. <laughs> to add to your preps. What's a skill you want to add? What's something you want to mm-hmm. do? And that, I, yeah. And he, he just, he just borrows everyone's idea and kind of conglomerates it in one place. Love him. So yeah, look him up and he, he does a great job. What you just said, what skill are you going to work on now? What prep are you going to work on now? And just kind of plot along. You don't need to be, panicked about it you don't need to buy you know five ars and tons of ammo you just can always be working on your skills in a very steady motion <laughs> no i agree um well god we've uh i think an hour and a half hours so. um right right there about an hour and a half yeah no um so i guess shelby i i like i said i mean i i, I can't go on enough about how much i enjoy your book and um i'm I'm going to be definitely passing it towards us uh, like my mom eventually, like especially my mom, um, just cause I think she can relate to it as far as the couponing and, you know, the canning and everything. But, uh, I mean, where can you give us kind of like a little bit of a glimpse of kind of where the story is kind of going and like what you're expecting in the next, like, you know, a couple books and how things are going to go. And then I'm, I'm, the last bit is uh, like, where can they find you? Where, where can people find you? The next book is called The Aftermath, so I will say this. It's basically the aftermath of the collapse that happens in Oregon. And I'm and there's if you're if you're a super paying attention reader, you've caught some of those hints that I dropped in book one about what's gonna mm-hmm. So it's basically the collapse and what that looks like. And if you heard me on this podcast or others, you know that my big thing is towards women and and, and what can happen to them in a collapse. So th- there's your hint. So there's that. And, um, and also touching on what happens when that person at your door says, hey, can you add one more? Why not? And and what do you do with that? And have those hard decisions of when someone hasn't prepared, how do you let another person into your fold? So I'm going to drop those hints and leave it at that. And if you want to find out. Now I need to re-listen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So now you're going to be exactly. So if you want to find out information on books and things that are upcoming and all that, you can go to my website, agreatstate.com. You can touch base with me on social media there. You can buy a copy of a paper or audible book there. And you can see I've put some um, prepping ideas and blog posts there as well. I need to do more. But um, I have a couponing video that I'll be posting on our YouTube channel here soon. But all of that launches from the website, agreatstate.com. Awesome. Um, Glenn, uh, man, I, it was a, it was a double feature getting Shelby on, uh, but man, uh, thank you uh, so much for coming on and 
it was a very, it was a pleasure to actually getting to talk to you some about everything. But uh, like, what's uh, what's in line for you? What's uh, any other books coming out? Anything that's uh, going to happen? Yeah, and these are things that are probable things in the future. So I don't want to be the guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and it doesn't do it. <laughs> so here's the plans. First of uh-huh. all, supporting the heck out of out of Shelby's books and letting everybody know that if you like 199 Days, you're going to love a great day. And that's, that's the mm-hmm. um, um I'm working on something I call Stuff You Need and Where to Get It, which is going to be um, water or comms or something like that. And you click on it and I say, listen, I didn't know anything about camp radio. And here's what I found out. So you need this, this, and this. And here are all the links and some videos to go watch. I'm not tell you how to program your radio, but you need comms and here's why. So that's getting people started and giving them that's cool. Oh, okay. Need to go. And what I learned because I bought stuff I didn't need and all of that other stuff. There's that. Um uh we have uh Chuck I have uh, a podcast that's gonna be starting in a while. Our working title for it is prepping to point zero. Idea is you get and this is this is guys, this is exactly what I'm thinking about you guys. You got your pizza nice Got your guns. That's one point Now, how to go to the next level? Next kind of stuff you need. You really need comms. Um, both people ignore water. Uh, you got to. You got to really get the water training. People will spend a lot of money on another thing, and they will not go to training. And and that's the thing. I also think night vision is a huge thing. And yeah, it's expensive, but those mm. are my things that I see as like prepping two But also. The mindset we we got through, you know, the Obama administration, and now it's the Trump administration. A lot of people they call it the Trump slump. They're just sitting around and not up and getting stale and all that other stuff because there's nothing that the bad's going to happen. By the way, the 2020 election is going to be super bad. Yeah. So how do you take it to that next level? So it's really aimed at the guy who's already got one or woman who's got the beans and rice, and now what do you do to to fill in some gaps? Um, YouTube channel that we mentioned, some how-to stuff. I'm working with some people who make stuff that I think people need, and it would be showing them how to use it, and on that stuff you need, where to get it page, which is not up yet, so don't look for it. Um, <laughs> so working with them on some discounts for readers and stuff like that, just trying to get stuff in people's hands and, and that checklist, and here you go, and you don't mm-hmm. need stuff. Um, just get this and on to the next topic. Um, and so that's that's what's going on. Um, and uh, Shelby and I would like to do a food prep book. And it's not a cookbook. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, it's about how to plan your food preps, how to how to get the storage space for them, which is kind of important, and how to store them, how to buy stuff, where to buy it, what to buy, stuff about it, space, how to seal it up, or do a variety of other things. Yes, how to cook it, and how to have alternative energy specifically designed for cooking. Um, you know, not powering your whole house, but how to, you know, get a, a a goal zero little battery thing that's solar powered that runs on twelve volts, and you go to a truck stop or whatever, and you buy a twelve volt crock pot, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's the food element of preps. We jokingly call it the don't dare call it a cookbook because it's more than. <laughs> So, and those are some things, and those are going along. And then, of course, there's 390, which is, um, I'm working with someone, a great writer, who is based in the state of Maine, 
and it takes place on the same timeline, a little bit parallel, it's 299 days, and it's what happens in Maine. And I'm working with him, editing, story development, outlining, all of that kind of stuff. So that's going to be coming out. It's got kind of my fingerprints on it. But he wrote it. I mean, he did a really good job. Um, there might be some other similar things where I don't write it, you know, write the first draft, but it happens in other parts of the country. Um, so we've got to make sure that that gets... Hmm. It won't be out for probably several months from now, but it's going to be cool. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. And as you can see from my enthusiasm and my focus on these things, I'm living that prepping 2.0 thing. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that was good. now how are we going to do the second round? So that's that's all the stuff. I'm energized. I'm fired up because I'm telling you. Yeah, I can tell. That's awesome, though. It's um, awesome that you're very passionate about it. Um, no, I, um, I mean... When you uh, when the three ninety nine comes out, uh, I mean, let us know. Uh, I'd love to have everybody back on and uh, talk more about it. Shelby, when your when your next book drops, let me know. Uh, let, let Phil or I know, and uh, we'd love to have you guys back on. Uh, one or both of you, whatever. Um, Glenn, really quick though, where can people find you? We didn't cover that. Sure, two nine nine days. The number is two nine nine days, or you can just Google. 299 days and stuff will come up and that's a place to go and Amazon and all that stuff. And it's impossible not to find 299 days stuff. So just go look on Google, the Googles as the kids are calling it. The Googles. Yeah. Right. Um, no, awesome. Uh, man, thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a blast. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Looking forward to talking again in the future. Yeah, me too. Uh, definitely. I know Phil probably is too. Uh, I mean, if you guys, I don't know if you guys are in our group at all or not or anything, or if, they are if now. you guys want to join. Um, I know you guys are pretty busy. So yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, feel free to drop. I mean, if you guys have anything that you guys want to promote, uh, do anything, I mean, let us know or drop a link into our, in our group pages or whatever. You guys are more than welcome to promote. Um, Thank you. And just to drop any ideas or any articles or anything you guys want feedback on um more than welcome to throw that in the group and you'll drop a link so so appreciate it thanks well i do appreciate like andrew said we really appreciate y'all spending some time today and um hopefully our listeners if they're anything like us and we we find we're attracting a like-minded group hopefully y'all have a few new fans in the near future i uh my kindle has uh downloaded both y'all's book well glenn's first book and yours and um Hell, my wife probably really enjoy your book, honestly, because it is it's so unique to get a woman's perspective on prepping. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I've I've done episodes with her and asked her, "What do you think about all this stuff?" But like m- most people, just totally gloss over the idea, and it's it's y'all women are half the population. I would I would I would hope sooner or later someone's going to start to realize that you know an eye needs to be cast towards the fair gender for. Um, with regards to prepping and how we how we do this and how we make this work, yes. but um, I appreciate y'all spending some time with us, y'all. I uh, just got through adding y'all to the closed group, and I'm going to add the links that y'all just uh, gave us to the show notes. Anybody who wants to get in get in line for their books, just click on the show click on the link in the show description. It'll take you to the show notes, and uh, I hope to have y'all both back on in the near future. This was a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah, we will. And especially with two, uh, the second one of my series that'll be out in the next month or two, I'll look you guys up and, uh, and let you know that it's coming out and we'll do it again. Yeah, Please awesome. Uh, can't wait. Wonderful.
All right. Well, this has been episode 78 of the Matter Facts Podcast. We will talk to y'all. This will be coming out on Friday. We'll talk to y'all next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye, you guys. Bye.